This is Hollywood Unfiltered, hosted by Dana Buckler and Brandon Lou here. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Hollywood Unfiltered. My name is Dana Buckler. I'm Brandon Lou here. And you are listening to Fun for Life Radio, part of the Dash Radio family. And Brandon, we've got a ton to talk about on Hollywood Unfiltered today, so I think we should just jump right in. We're going to talk a little bit about the box office. We're going to talk about what we're watching on streaming. Main story today is going to be a big one. Yeah, Dana, I'm excited. So what's trending for you this week? Well, I think first and foremost, a little congratulations is in order because I do believe that I predicted the box office for No Time to Die almost spot on. It came in domestically at 56 million. I said between 50 and 60 million was going to be pretty much what you should expect. And uh Again, congratulations. I, I don't hear the, the, the applause coming, but I, I was spot on. If it wasn't obnoxious, I would give you a massive round of applause right now. But big congratulations. You, you did. You called it last week. Absolutely. So, and you know, the irony of the situation is I haven't had an opportunity to see the film yet. I'm actually going tomorrow. From everything I've been hearing from a lot of people's uh, opinions that I trust, it is a really good send off for Daniel Craig. And it sets up a very interesting question mark about the series moving forward. Uh, I know you haven't seen it yet, but you're, are you surprised by the numbers or do you feel like that just kind of came in exactly where we expected? No, it came in exactly where you predicted. I wasn't sure where it would come in. I knew that this was Daniel Craig's last Bond film and that that probably would drive the numbers a little bit more. And, you know, that was just that's opening weekend in, in, in the U.S. There's still there's potentially more weeks for the, the film to do well. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, as big as James Bond is, we talked about it last week, how it's been around for almost 60 years. Unfortunately, it just doesn't have the brand recognition with the younger folks the way, you know, Marvel, Star Wars, even Pixar has. So I think the film is looking at a $350 million marketing and budget. You know, $350 million. Uh, you're going to need to probably bring in about $800 million just for the film to break even and then start looking at profit. So, of course, this movie will do exceptionally well in the ancillary markets, you know, the video on demand, the hotels, the airplanes, everything. So I think all all roads lead towards this film being profitable. And then, of course, like we talked about, you know, Amazon now owns the rights to James Bond. So, you know, I imagine they're going to take the momentum and move very quickly and get a new James Bond movie. If it's not already being discussed right now, they're going to fast track another James Bond film. Because if I've no learned anything about these streaming services, it's not going to be another five or six years before we get a James Bond film. That's OK with me. I would love to see what Amazon does. What other news in the box office do we have? We looked at last week with Venom, Let There Be Carnage had the $90 million opening, which again, that was exceptional. That is a, uh, you know, a pandemic record. I hate using that term. I hate saying pandemic record. Uh, that's a good box office return, regardless of what's going on in the world. But the big question, of course, was how big of a drop was this film going to have? And by the numbers I saw, it brought in just a little over 30 million. So we're looking at about a 64% drop, which I think is, is on par for a film that, let's be clear, it's technically part of the Marvel Universe. It's not really 
under Kevin Feige's supervision. So it's kind of a, everybody that wants to see it has already seen it. And I think this thing is going to, it's going to be somewhat profitable. But at this, at the other point, I think it's just another film. I'm sorry. I'm being a little crude. I'm, I'm being a little blase about it, but just another entry in the Marvel universe. Just for the sake of clarity, Kevin Feige does have a little bit of say in the sense that the the studios between, well, formerly, I guess, was Fox owned, Disney owns Fox now, but between Sony and the Disney-owned Marvel, they have an arrangement specifically about between these these different universes about what they can say, what they can reference, in what properties and new things they can reference stuff. So it, I it agree. Is, it's kind of I, I take like, I do take a little bit of issue with you saying it's just another installment. It's a listen, this is a it, it is an installment, but it's its own thing. And it, it does connect now with a whole litany of new exciting stuff that I'm excited for. So well, I want to point out that what you basically explained to me is very akin to me uh, franchising a fast food restaurant. So if I want to open up a McDonald's in a territory where there's not a McDonald's, I have to follow a certain set of rules. So so basically, yeah, no, I agree with you that I guess ultimately Marvel, Disney, Feige, they all do have the final say in the product. Yeah, I would prefer Kevin Feige and Disney to have control. I trust Kevin Feige wholeheartedly. He's, for the record, a fellow Jersey boy, and I aspire to be like Kevin Feige genuinely. So something I always want to point out, and I find this really interesting, you know, over the years of, of having the opportunity to talk to a lot of writers, directors, producers, people involved in, in the industry, which is, you know, one of the things that you and I are, are forever interested in. A couple of years ago, I got to talk to a producer who's going to remain nameless, who had a relative who will remain nameless, very, very deeply involved in the Marvel films. And I was talking to him and we were off record, so I'm not going to use any names, but I was talking to him and I said, you know, do, when they initially started this run, of course, it was 2008 with Iron Man and you had John Favreau directing and he was going all out to get Robert Downey Jr., which everyone was saying, that's crazy. RDJ, he's, you know, he he's his time has come and went, you know, he's had a lot of issues. I don't want to get into the issues that he had, but he wasn't considered to be a bankable star. And I think he got paid a very small amount of money. For the for what I'm talking about, I'll just say, I was talking to him and I said, you know, when you started this thing, how far did you have this mapped out? And he told me, he said, Dana, we had this mapped out to 2012's Avengers. This is how far we had this thing planned. He, I said, well, what happened? You know, what kind of discussions were you starting to have once Avengers was getting ready to come out and you realized that these things were making a billion dollars a piece? They're like... Oh no, we uh we just we decided to go with it. You know, we're just going to keep going with it because we've made so much money by this point that we're just going to keep this train rolling as long as we can. And and hats off to them. Look, say what you will about the Marvel films, some people, a lot of people love them. Some people are whatever. They've created a brand which is the run that they're on is completely unprecedented. I, it hasn't been done before, and I'm not sure if it's ever going to be duplicated. The success that they've had. So my hat is off to them. Well done. Well, you've used the perfect word, unprecedented. By the time they got to 2012's Avengers, that whole endeavor was unprecedented. Let alone over the next 10 years, what they've done. I'm confident, we don't, we're not going to get into this too much. We'll save this for another show. But I'm confident that what Kevin Feige has headed over at Marvel and Disney could be the greatest digital media achievement of all time. And they're just getting started. They're just getting started. Phase four 
If you've not been following, Phase 4 is kicking off tremendously, and I'm all about it. And I think the history books will show that this was one of the greatest creative endeavors that ever happened or will ever happen forever. Quote me. And of course, this Mic is... Mic drop. Of course, this is... Of course, this is radio, so you know the listeners out there can't see the reaction on my face. This is a discussion, a friendly debate that uh, Brandon and I have been having for a long time, and we are not going to open the book on this right now. We've got a show to do. We've got to keep the train rolling, and I'm telling you right now, there's a lot more that we need to discuss. And we like to do a review on this show every week, be it a movie or a TV series. Last week, we did The Many Saints of Newark. Just a little tease for next week, we're going to be looking at the new, new Halloween movie, Halloween Kills, which I'm very very excited about. We didn't do a movie this week. We looked at something on streaming. Brandon, you want to talk a little bit about what we're going to give a quick review, uh, a mini review, because we haven't actually finished the series. Yes. Well, last week we watched The Many Saints of Newark, and so I'm actually going to be starting The Sopranos soon. But before I start The Sopranos, I got a recommendation to watch this show called Squid Game on Netflix. And well, there's a lot of stuff that I think you and I, you, you've had the opportunity to see the first couple episodes. I've only seen the first couple episodes myself, but there's a lot of stuff I think we kind of want to talk about it. And other people are talking about this show too, right? This is one of those phenomenon shows. And I'm kind of guilty of always like not buying into the hype of a lot of things and to my detriment to my uh, enjoyment and my watching detriment. I wasn't watching Breaking Bad while it was on the air. I watched it, I binged it, you know, a couple years afterwards. I didn't get into The Walking Dead. I didn't get into Mad Men when the shows were on the air. And then I would retroactively go back and watch them. And every time I've done this, I'm like, I get it. I totally understand the hype. So you can't go anywhere right now on social media or even articles, you know, in the media without hearing about this South Korean phenomenon. I I do get review copies from Netflix from time to time. So I've got to reach out to the publicist at Netflix I'm dealing with and be like, hey, why didn't I get an advanced copy of this? Now, having said all that, I went into the show cold, cold, meaning did not read the plot synopsis, just went into it. A couple things caught my eye. Number one, it had a TVMA rating. So I knew that I was going to be and and TVMA rating on Netflix. You can get up with you can get away with a lot more TV fourteen stuff on Netflix than you can on regular television. So I knew TV TVMA was going to be heavy. Oh my goodness! Yeah, well, was it heavy? That's that's it was definitely heavy, right? Oh my goodness! Just to repeat myself, there I didn't know what I was in for. You know, obviously the first. S- and this isn't a pilot episode. This is a this is a nine episode series. It well, you know, this was conceived with a beginning, middle, and end. So, you know, it like the typical first episode is always sort of gonna set up the characters, you know, it's gonna give you some exposition dumps, let you know what's going on. You know, basically sets and we're not gonna get into spoilers on this show because we're we're gonna incur I'm not sure if we're going to encourage people to watch this or not, but we're going to prepare them. We're going to prepare those that are going to watch it that, you know, it sets up, you know, I don't want to use the term generic characters, but it it sets up characters that are all have a, a similar issue happening to them. And they have come up with a way or they've been presented with a way to rectify 
this particular issue they have. And I don't want to go any deeper into that, uh, except to say that when the episode, the episode one was over, I remember it said, you know, Netflix, do you want to watch the next episode? I said, no, not right now. I need to process this. So I, I literally just hit stop. I hit click on the remote stop. And I was just sort of taken aback because I, I wasn't prepared. I want you to take me through your first experience with episode one of Squid Game. God, you had to, I had to take a couple of minutes just to sit and think about what I just watched too. I also went in cold. I had no idea. My friend Joe Bev sent me a text message and said, hey, you got to check out Squid Game. You won't be disappointed. And when people send me stuff like that, like no one ever sends me stuff that's so titillating like that. Most of the time it's like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. He's just like, watch this. You'll see. Basically is what he said. And I was like, okay. I said, I'll watch the first episode. I got through, I was, I became invested in the, our main character and some of the, the supplementary characters throughout the show. And I also, yeah, I want to emphasize again, I was going in cold just like you, Dana. I had no idea what I was in for. I felt a sense of slight foreboding. I felt a sort of sinister energy. And that's not spoiling anything to say. Like you just get a vibe that things are, are off in this universe that is being created in this show but you don't exactly know what it is and well suddenly when you realize when the time comes that you truly you sort of get an understanding of what's happening but then that moment in the episode when you realize what's actually happening and you see it and then you are just subjected to the next like whatever it is 15 minutes of of violence and exceptionally grotesque imagery it really it did when when the episode was over like you said i had to stop for a few minutes and consider if i if i wanted to even watch the second episode which i did but it was a couple of days later it was it was it was just last night that i watched it i watched the first episode earlier um last week and yeah so then you you told me that you only got through 20 minutes of the second episode why was that i want to start by saying that I think this is a really well-produced show. I think it has a high production quality. And, you know, I've reached out. I have a very good friend of mine who is from South Korea. He lives in America now, a very prominent doctor who is a, a a pop culture and entertainment junkie. He, you know, he goes to more movies than we do combined. And, you know, I wanted to reach out to him and sort of talk to him a little bit about, you know, sort of the explosion of the South Korean entertainment industry uh, over the past 10, 20 years. I mean, let's, let's be forget two years ago, Parasite, it didn't just win Best Picture, it cleaned up at the box office. And it was the first time a foreign language film had ever won Best Picture. There's movies like The, Ho- the Host, you know, Train, for, Train from Busan. There's, uh, they're making amazing stuff out of, South, uh, out of South Korea. So I want to preface everything I'm about to say by saying that this is a this is a quality quality project. It looks great. I would just love to add. I really enjoy the show too. I've enjoyed it. It's just it's been a challenge to watch it, but I, I want to continue. So, having said all that, like I love the fact that you know I look back as a as a, as a kid. Now I grew up in the eighties. I was a child in the eighties, but I was not hit with I, I i didn't have the internet i didn't have access to everything you know i we all had sheltered lives by today's standards but i also had parents who were very mindful of what i watched as as a child and 
of course, I was so angry with them back then. Like, I want to I want to watch this. Why won't you let me watch this? And I would sneak over to a friend's house and watch horror movies and a lot of Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street films and things like that. But as an adult now, as someone in their 40s, I, I, I now am so grateful that they... They, they, again, I want to use the word shelter, but they forbid me from watching certain things because it didn't desensitize me to horrific violence. So having said that, this show, it just gut punched me. You said it best when you talked about a sense of foreboding of what's going to happen next. And there's imagery in the first 30 seconds of episode two that just, again, here I was, oh, here we go. And watching it, I just said, I stopped at 20 minutes into it, not because I didn't think it was an interesting show. It was just, I don't know if where, where my headspace was at, but I just said, this is, this is not the time. I can't watch this. I just can't. It's a show that I do intend on finishing, uh, but it's one that I'm going to watch on my time at my pace and binge watching will not be a thing. This will be a, a, an episode, a few days to process. And so that's that's kind of where I'm at on that one because it's just, it's brutal. It's a brutal show. And, and I might add, and I don't want to get into this too deep, but there are a lot of things I've read on social media where people are glorifying the brutality of the show. And that to me is, I don't think the message that the filmmakers have intended or that the, te- the showrunners have intended. Yeah, for anyone listening who is curious and like, I do want to watch the show. We are taking the stance that we want to prepare you. And I will say after the first 30 seconds opening of the second episode and that first image, I I want to be fair in that we do get a temporary reprieve. We do get a, a little bit of relief and, and a time to breathe during that episode. It the, the sense of foreboding never goes away, but without giving spoilers, it's it's a little bit more relaxed in a certain perspective. We've been talking a lot about the violence and some of the imagery. It is it is heavy and it is challenging to watch. It's important to keep the context that it's just a show. Um, and it's also important to remember that you don't have to watch anything you don't want. This is something I wanna say about the show. I've never felt so worried about consuming content before especially considering I consume a lot of news. We both read up on entertainment news and stuff. Some of that is kind of hard to consume consistently because it just feels like, sometimes it just makes you feel dumb. This is one of those things that genuinely made me feel worried for that my sense of desensitization, like you said. And yeah, I think this is not something that sh- I'm planning on binging. I'm planning on doing like one episode every few days. I, I'm invested in the show now. But I, I, like you said, I want to do it on my time in bite-sized chunks so that I can let myself process what's ha- what's, what has happened to my brain. And there's something I want to also mention, and this is going to get into a, a very minor spoiler regarding you know, some of the subject matter of the film. But I, I was very curious about you know, just how popular this film is. And I came across an article from NBC News that was written by Jennifer Jett and Stella Kim. And the headline is, Squid Game is entertaining the world, but there's a different feeling in South Korea. It goes on to say that Koreans love to be number one, but number one at the cost of airing your dirty laundry is a somewhat different thing, said a professor. Just some cliff notes from this article. It's the nine-episode horror series on Netflix has hit number one in 90 
90 of the streaming services markets around the world, including South Korea, where it's made. This goes on to say, quote, I got to the point where I could not hold a conversation without watching the show, said Jun Dun, a security analyst in Seoul, the South Korean capital. But the show also strikes a nerve because it unflinchingly addresses a problem that's particularly entrenched in South Korea, and that is debt and the never-ending struggle to pay it off. So that's as far as I want to go into that. As far, I don't want to deep dive too much deeper into the spoilers, but obviously it's clear that the motivation for our characters is is just that, is being severely in debt and not having the ability to pay it off and then given an opportunity to pay it off. And, you know, it's, the show is such an in- interesting study of of that phenomenon, which is not something that is exclusive to South Korea. That is, spend a little time in America there. It's really bad here as well. And so it, you know, it it almost begs the question, you know, you know, would somebody who's so severely in debt participate in what's happening on the show? Gosh, it's such an interesting question. I'm going to take my own individual stance. I don't know if it's unpopular or not, but I really wouldn't do it. I'm confident. I'm a confident man. I'm a human being and I have my flaws, but I am confident enough in myself that I could figure stuff out that I wouldn't need to risk my life to make money. Yeah, that's a good that's a good way to look at it. Risk risk your life to make money. And we've looked at a number of projects that have come out over the past 20 years that are very similar to the, you know, the plot structure of this film. You know, without giving too much away, this this uh, excuse me, of this show, without giving too much away, you know, this this series, you know, borrows heavily from I think both real life when you look at reality shows like Survivor and and other other shows like that, and of course a lot of pop culture references, the Hunger Games, the uh, that fantastically underrated movie Battle Royale that came out, I think in two thousand. And if I may, in video games and, like things and, like Fortnite and other Last Man Standing LMS style games, it's very popular. So we were we were heading in the direction of a show like this. What I wasn't expecting was one with such brutality. And, you know, but it's, it's certainly captured a nerve. I mean, 90, 90 markets. I mean, that's, there's how many countries are there? I mean, that's massive. And it's not since Tiger King and Making a Murderer has Netflix produced such a popular show that is now in the zeitgeist and is something that will be remembered long after it's no longer on the air or or after there's no more new episodes coming out when they finish the series because you know damn well this thing goes way past nine episodes it's just too popular yeah i don't see how i don't see how uh, one singular season would be it Dana, I know we got to move on here in a sec. I want to touch on one more thing quickly, which is I really appreciated that this was a, a big success for Netflix in specific regard to the show being produced in Korean and then offering an actual English dub, which I was watching, and then there was the subtitles, the subtitle version as well. But um, I think it's cool. I think that's I, I like the idea of uh, more international work becoming popular in the United States if people because I think this just also proved that people are willing to put to the side that they might have to read subtitles or that the lip sync isn't quite right I didn't let it bother me at all it didn't ruin my watching experience one iota yeah and I'm with you I actually when I started the first episode it was in the English dub and I I think five minutes into it I said no no I want I want to go to to the English subtitles and I just felt I felt that that 
gave it just a little bit more authenticity for me. Now, did it? Did I maybe miss a couple things in the beginning because I'm reading the subtitles? Yes, but it's interesting because it's amazing how quickly your brain will adapt to reading subtitles. It just becomes, you don't have to think about it. It just becomes part of the, the viewing experience. And I've seen a lot of movies the, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the the original, you know, Swedish trilogy of films. I actually, there was a small art house cinema in Sarasota, Florida that I would go to, and it screened all three of them back to back to back, and they all just had subtitles. And I think of that movie, and I reference it, and I think about, I think it was in English, because my brain was so, just so fine-tuned to reading the subtitles. But you're right. We, we do need to move on. Any any closing thoughts on Squid Game? If you're brave enough, watch it. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, not something for kids. I'll just say that. So you're listening to Hollywood Unfiltered on Fun for Life Radio, part of the Dash Radio Network. You can always follow this station at, on Instagram at Fun for Life Radio. You can follow me on Instagram at Real Dana Buckler. Brandon, where can people find you? You can follow me on Instagram, too, at Brandon Luhier, L-O-U-H-I-E-R. We also have a Hollywood Unfiltered YouTube channel that we've just made. We're building from scratch, and we're going to have a lot of cool clips and even the full shows after they've aired. And we also are in the process of making a Hollywood Unfiltered Discord channel. We're going to do a lot of exciting stuff like giveaways, movie nights. You can post in there. You can discuss with us in there. And yeah, great stuff. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Hollywood Unfiltered. You are listening to Fun for Life Radio, because a life without fun is hardly worth living. Okay, and we're back. This is Hollywood Unfiltered. I'm Dana. I'm Brandon. And you are listening to the Fun for Life Network on Dash Radio. And Brandon, it's not just Hollywood Unfiltered on Fun for Life Radio. It's an awesome mix of just incredible music and really good talk shows. And a couple shows that I want to mention real quick. Of course, you can't talk about Fun for Life Radio without talking about Truth and Tunes with Peely Montiel. She is a cultural music expert. She has some really, really big names on her show. She always dives deep into her guests' journey. They recommend five songs that have meant something to them. You get to hear the songs. Just an awesome, awesome show. And another show that I really love on the network is called Rock Your Life with Arian Alexander. Mm -hmm. Arian's a a life coach, a business strategist, and just an all-around awesome person. And she always has really interesting guests that have incredible journeys. And just it's just amazing to listen to those shows. That's just a couple shows. I mean, everything on the station is fantastic. Fun for Life Radio. We're happy to be a part of it. This is Hollywood Unfiltered. Brandon, why don't you just bring the listeners up to speed on what we've been closely watching, monitoring almost hour by hour. Yeah, Dana, we touched on it a little bit last week. And what we're dealing with is actually a potential strike with one of the biggest entertainment unions in the industry that could really affect everything. In a time when like things are so much is changing already, this could really change the entertainment industry as we know it. Let me ask you a quick question. What would you do if tomorrow... All of your favorite live sports broadcasters went off the air. Well, uh, let's see. Uh, we did deal with that briefly last year with the pandemic because, you know, all sports was canceled, but then they brought it back without fans and it was very challenging. But you're talking about, you're not talking about that scenario. You're talking about no sports 
are the sports still going to be played or are they just not going to be no. aired? No, you wouldn't. You live sport theoretically, live sports games would be canceled altogether because you need live sound engineers, you need other uh, production staff for those cameras, Cam cameramen. cameramen. Yes, they definitely yeah. won't be live broadcasted. No live theatrical productions, no live broadcasts of any kind, including news for better or worse. What we're dealing with, so we have we have one of the biggest trade unions, Yahtzee, otherwise known as the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, who negotiates with another very powerful organization known as the AMPTP, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. They've been negotiating for months, and just the last few weeks, negotiations broke down. It's been reported all over, Variety, Vogue, uh, deadline, all sorts of every everywhere. This really is could potentially affect a lot of things. Now, if you don't know what IATSE is, it's it's a it's a trade union. It was founded in the late 1800s, and and the, and the members make up a wide spectrum of different trades in the entertainment industry, from live theater, motion picture, TV, trade shows, exhibitions, TV broadcasting, concerts, equipment, construction shops even. There's even some people who deal with, like, deal with uh, set, desi set design, con the construction of that. So there's, there's over 150,000 workers who fall into the category. So basically what you're saying is... You know, we have a, we have a term. Uh, there's a term in the industry called below the line. Okay, so when you're let's just gonna I'm just gonna use a movie as an example. Okay, so when a movie goes in production, you have the above the line credits. These are the credits that uh, typically play at the beginning of a movie. So you, you know, you've got your, your your writers, your producers, your executive producers, your director, all, and they all have their own unions: writers guild, directors guild. Uh, I do believe that the director of photography, the DP. Uh, the cameramen, they all fall under IATSE. So basically what you're saying, and if I'm, if I'm understanding this correctly, is that everybody below the line, and you've mentioned it from the gaffers, the lighting techs, the caterers, the drivers, the, produc the production assistants, everybody that is in this union is basically saying enough is enough. The world we're living in now is different than what it was 10 years ago, and it's time to renegotiate is basically what you're saying. And talks have broken down. And I think if I remember, and I'm pretty sure they had a vote on this last week. And let me give you an example. Like when the Writers Guild voted to strike a few years back, I think it was about 58 to 60 percent of the of the union voted in favor of a strike. Numbers are significantly higher when it comes to IATSE. So yeah, this there is a strike on the table. It's not yet actually been put into effect. People are still working. However, the strike authorization vote was cast, and 98% of the members who voted from IATSE voted yes. It's now it's not only did was it a resounding 98% vote. But three times the the number of members who voted on the last contract negotiation voted on this. It was it's very it's a very serious situation because they ha they have they have serious grievances. And now that now what led up to this is the real question because a lot of stuff led up to this. Now now it's been years of long hours on the on the sets and and everywhere. Everyone you know you have to work hard. A lot of industries you have to work hard. But with the rise of streaming services and the need for for consistent and constant original content, these hours are just they're getting even they're getting even higher. We're talking already twelve plus hour days turning into sometimes twenty plus hour days, and so 
the organization, the AMPTP, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, who, by the way, Dana, are responsible for, they negotiate with something like 50 other uh, uh, trade union organizations that are some of the biggest in the industry. And, and it's a relatively small group compared to how many people are in some of these unions. So IATSE has some grievances, and they include uh, excessively unsafe and harmful working hours, unlivable wages for the, for the lowest paid crafts, uh, from their perspective, consistent failure to provide reasonable rest during meal breaks between workdays and on weekends, and workers on certain new media streaming projects, aka streaming services projects, which make up a lot of the, the, the pie now, they get paid less even on productions with budgets that rival or exceed those of traditionally released blockbusters. Now, from the producer's perspective, they need to keep production costs low in a time when you can produce things cheaply, but sometimes productions are also as expensive as they've ever been. It's a challenging thing to balance, but these seem to me, I don't know if wh what your perspective is, but these seem to be relatively basic requests at the behest of Yahtzee. It's one of the reasons why there are still unions in America to protect workers against these type of conditions. Now, you and I are not taking a side on this. We're just we're just reporting this as we, you know, as the story unfolds. But I think relative I think it's relatively safe to say that something you mentioned, the media landscape, particularly new media, has changed so rapidly that, you know, the con the existing contracts are almost not even relevant anymore because you something you said about you know productions let's say for example you are you know you're a cameraman or you're you know you're a gaffer you're a, a grip or whatever and you're working on a season of law and order okay well those episodes are 42 to 44 minutes in length okay now let's juxtapose that with uh, Ozark. And I'm not saying this happens on the set of Ozark. I'm just using Ozark as a reference point, which is a one hour, sometimes 80 minute long episode. Well, the amount of production increases, but the deadlines stay the same. So it's just one of these situations where, you know, something is going to have to change because I have to be honest with you, it's not being talked about a lot yet, but Watch what happens when all of a sudden everything just shuts down and there's a real potential for that happening. And it's it's I don't even want to use the term interesting. It's going to be well, catastrophic. That's, now, if anyone wants to hear more or read more about these individual stories, there's an Instagram account at IA stories with thousands of individual people sharing anonymously Um their, their trials and tribulations through the industry. It ranges from, from petty grievances, frankly, to some really serious and some really heavy stories. I, you know, I want to touch on one quickly that I don't want to bring the party down, but you know, people work long hours, some of these 19, 20 hour days, and they're getting into accidents driving home, you know, because they just fall asleep at the wheel. It's some, some serious stuff. This is what sparked all of this. And, you know, the, the producers, from their perspective, they, you know, they have to produce a lot more content, like you said, with which a lot a lo longer average length. And they want they have to keep production costs down somehow. And we live in this new world and the workers who are responsible for, for putting together these productions, they, they, they have needs that need to be met. And I want to say something real quick, Brandon, because, I, you know, just as you were kind of just going through that, I, I was I, I hopped on uh, IATSE's website and what would seem like simple, I don't want to use the word simple, but, you know, standard negotiations 
I think what we're looking at is something a little bit more uh, intense. And what I mean by that is there is a a letter that says, on behalf of our hundreds of thousands of members working across film and television, we stand in solidarity with our IATSE brothers, sisters, and kin. It says the basic quality of life and living wage rights they're fighting for in their negotiations are the issues that impact all of us who work on sets and productions. We stand with IATSE. And this is signed by the heads of the DGA, SAG, the Writers Guild, and their International Brotherhoods of Teamsters. So I am not trying to make any type of predictions, but you know, the producers guild has, they have really dug their heels in on this one and they're holding strong because I think it's safe to say that however this plays out, this is going to set the precedent for the other unions because we are in such a dynamic shift in how content is being produced, how it's being watched. And we're still working with a fundamentally older contract for all of the unions. So this this is going to have long-lasting ramifications. And I'll be honest with you, I, I don't want this to happen, but because of the ramifications, I think a, a strike, I think it's more likely than not that the strike is going to happen. What do you think? Well, the negotiations just paused again after the last four days. According to the, the leadership, they've been making a little bit of progress, but not on the, the real key issues. They're not moving enough in the direction that they want. You brought up the point about setting a precedent. That's the real key thing here. Do you think that's why the producers are digging their heels in? Yeah, no, I think that's it. Exactly it. Because that's how, I mean, that's how the standard is going to be uh, viewed from this point on. If Because, I mean, I can't even wrap my head around the idea of what happens if the producers say, mm, whatever, yeah, we're fine. And I'm not taking the side of anyone. I'm just trying to look at it from both sides of the argument. So what do, you know, the big companies do? Do they start making everything outside of the United States? I mean, do they start going into to Canada, to England, to all these other different places where, you know, it's different unions, different rules, or do we get a solidarity worldwide from all the different trade unions that represent the entertainment industry throughout the world? There's so many unanswered questions, and this is definitely something that you and I are going to have to be we're going to be keeping our eye on this over the next few weeks, months, maybe, however long this plays out. So it's really a bigger story than a lot of people realize because stop the average person on the street and say, hey, have you heard about this thing with the IATSE? They're going to be like, the what? So, I mean, it's it's a big, big deal. And watch this become the number one trending news story in the world if it looks like a strike is looming. Because how else are we going to get our news? Everything's going to just be online written publications because you can't, you know, you, you, you can't broadcast. Now, are there going to be some exceptions? Possibly. Certain states in the United States are what's known as right-to-work states, which are non-union states. So, you know, if there's a Colorado Rockies baseball game happening in Colorado, which is a right-to-work state, you know, the cameramen there, they can, you know, they can hire cameramen that are not part of the union. So it gets very tricky, but just see what happens. See what happens if, if, if they say a strike is looming and everyone will oh, be yeah. talking and about I know, this. I know, and I know for sure that the leadership want this to get resolved sooner rather than later, but they don't want to budge on the points. So yeah, people should start preparing themselves because if a strike happens, like you said, everything everything could be going down. Except for YouTube. Except for YouTube. Yeah. 
which which you know we don't really have time to get into it but that is a whole different ecosystem of content that's being created now granted you know hbo nbc cbs netflix they all have their own youtube channels where they do clips and all that stuff but i would dare say 99 percent of the content that's created on youtube is independent productions and independent producers and if this strike happens it might be time to invest in Google. Now, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not telling you to do that. And this that is a comment that was made for entertainment purposes only. I want to make sure I'm very clear about that. But watch how quickly everyone goes to YouTube. It's going to be crazy. It's I mean, just, just people craving content. It's going to force people to... We're not just going to sit at home no. and read books, Brandon. It's yeah, no, I, I know. Century. And all these potential new free agents for a time... These are some of the best and most talented in the entire industry. If this goes on long enough, maybe people are going to say, well, why do we even need any of this? Why not just go full independent and work together and create our own stuff and make our own money? I don't I don't see why if, if this precedent does get set, I don't see why people would would consider just doing their own thing. Again, it's this, it's this brand new world. It's a it's a potentially blank slate we're being offered as well. Again, I don't, I don't want to. I love the traditional studios i love the traditional values i love i love all of the film or i love a lot of the films at least that that these traditional studios have have put out but like the reality is we are in a new world i don't i don't want to beat the horse to death it's the, the, the competition is fierce now you have netflix disney plus amazon hulu you have every every like paramount plus uh, and, uh um the peacock streaming service there's so many new ones coming all the time and the power is really in the hands of the consumers now so so really the, the all that has to happen is the content has to come out and it has to be good but the, the real key is these talented individuals who are creating this content really like, like you said dana the, the the below the line workers need to feel good about going to work they don't want to you know it's like there, if you go to the at the IA Stories Instagram, you see a lot of these instances. I saw one today specifically about this whole fear mentality. You can't even talk to anyone about like, oh, after this project's over, like, what do you, do you hear anything about new work potential coming up? It's it's frowned upon apparently, according to IA Stories that I've heard, it's frowned upon to network and try to bring yourself over the line. You get people get fired for that. It's, it's discouraged. Most industries that's encouraged. There's this. There's a fundamental shift that's going to happen, and it's happening all over the place. We see it. It's not just the entertainment industry. There's a fundamental shift in the paradigm that's happening, where people are deciding no. Like we 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 want some better. We want more say. We want better conditions. We want to do. We people want to work. That's not the question. People want to work. But people want to work and feel respected. People want to work and feel that they're contributing to a team and that the with the that the product they're working on is actually worthy to be worked on. You know, they're, these are just basic human things, and I don't want to sound like I'm preaching, but it's they, these are the this is the real heart. If you go, if you look, if you see, if you actually read some of these stories, the real heart is big. People just like. They're not asking for the world, from my perspective. At least I don't know. I'm not in the negotiation room. Neither are you. Neither of us are. Like we don't know exactly what they're asking for, but it doesn't sound like they're asking for the world. They just want to be treated with some respect and to to get a little piece of the pie in the sense, you know. Absolutely. And and again, Brandon, this is something that over the next few weeks and months we're gonna we're gonna update the listeners on. So uh, again, an immensely 
fascinating story unfolding right now in the industry and one that we will definitely keep you updated on. And we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Hollywood Unfiltered on Fun for Life Radio, part of the Dash Radio Network. You are listening to Fun for Life Radio, because if you survived the last year, you deserve all the fun you can get. All right, and we're back, Hollywood Unfiltered on Fun for Life Radio. Brandon, before we go, uh, I think we've got a little homework assignment for for you, and we've got a homework assignment for the listeners. I don't want to use, I don't like using the term homework, but I am personally very excited about the new Halloween sequel that is coming out this Friday, and it is going to be streaming on Peacock and in the theaters day and date. So that's going to be Friday, uh, October 15th. This is going to be part two of the trilogy that's directed by David Gordon Green. You know, it's got Jamie Lee Curtis in it. I was a big fan of Halloween 2018. I know you haven't seen it, so I'm going to give you a little homework. You need to watch Halloween 2018. Actually, forget that. Go back. You need to watch 1978's Halloween, then skip every sequel up until 2018 because the 2018 Halloween asks you to do that. It is a direct sequel to 1978's film and the film and the new Halloween Kills that's coming out this weekend is a sequel to that film. It's part of a trilogy. Halloween, Halloween Kills, and Halloween Ends which will come out one year from now. So little homework for you. We're going to be talking about that movie next week. I'm really excited. Yes, I'm excited too. And just so you know, I have seen the original Halloween film. I've not seen 2018, and I'm looking forward to seeing the new one. So it, I love what I love the idea of taking this whole, you know, putting the sequels to the side and putting this sort of trilogy together throughout the decades. It sounds awesome. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. I'm really looking forward to it. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Hollywood Unfiltered. My name is Dana Buckler. You can follow me on Instagram at Real Dana Buckler. You can follow this station, Fun for Life Radio, at Fun for Life Radio on Instagram. Uh, be sure to follow Dash Radio on Instagram. And I'm Brandon Lou here. You can follow me at Instagram at Brandon L O U H I E R. Follow us on YouTube and join the Hollywood Unfiltered Discord for giveaways, movie nights, and all sorts of fun shit. For Brandon, my name is Dana. You've been listening to Hollywood Unfiltered and we will see you same time same place next week <laughs>